Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And uh, before we resume our conversation with Ed Griffin, I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the second hour of today's show, our sponsors are Merrick's Gold, Legend Gold, and Rye Patch Gold Corp. Well, Ed, uh, we were talking about uh, some issues about um, the Fed and the defense of the Fed, how they claim that they're not costing anybody any money, they're bailing people out, and then you know, the, then the stock is sold and they return the principal uh, amount that was bailed out to the American people, and you said that you think that's a lot of hogwash. Uh, another claim of uh, the defenders of the Fed uh, is that our Fed is just really able to act on behalf of the American people because they are not controlled by uh, the political process. In other words, they're supposed to be independent, and if need be to uh, you know to enact tough monetary policy, as Paul Volcker seemed to do in 1980, uh, they're free to do that, whereas a lot of countries have their central bank attached to the government, and the government... Uh, the elected governments being, uh, you know, really having to uh, put pressure on the central banks in order to get them to give the uh, the kids their candy, so to speak. Uh, so, so what is your response to this notion that the Federal Reserve, <clears throat> excuse me, has the ability uh, that, that the Federal Reserve is independent and therefore able to act uh, on behalf of average Americans? Well, I think that's uh, intellectual sleight of hand. Uh, certainly the statement is true that it's independent, and but the assumption is that that's good. Uh, I'd like to comment on that assumption. Um, it's like saying, well, the military is independent of political control. We, do, we don't want the military to be uh, controlled by politicians or by voters. We don't want politics. We want the military to be able to do whatever they darn want to do. Yeah, and right away the argument becomes, uh, you know, invalid when you just go that far. But beyond that, the assumption here is that somehow the Federal Reserve is trying to do a good job, and that assumption is faulty. Also, we must always remember when we talk about the Federal Reserve that it is a cartel. Mm-hmm. People forget that, and you tell them, "Oh, yeah, it's a cartel," and then they forget it. It would be like the oil cartel saying. Well, you know, it's a good thing that we're independent, that nobody has any control over us, because mm-hmm. we can set our prices for oil what, at whatever level we want. We can uh, control distribution. And isn't that a good thing, that we can act as a cartel with no intervention of any kind? And that's supposed to be for the benefit of the consumers? Of course not. Cartels never act on behalf of the consumer. They always act on behalf of the cartel members. So once we keep that fact in our frontal lobes that this is a cartel, then the argument that it's a good thing it's independent falls apart. Ed, you know, we've just had this big debate, uh, or the Congress was this big ruckus, I guess you could say, before the uh, U.S. Treasuries were downgraded by S&P. And there was this, um, oh, this, this inability to come to an agreement in, uh, in Congress. Uh, 
the Republicans wanted, uh, you know, were, were really defiant against any kind of tax increases, and the Democrats uh, didn't want to cut spending. Uh, <clears throat> and so we had this uh, this loggerhead, an inability to get to 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 reach an agreement for the longest time. And a, and you know, there are Keynesian economists and Keynesian proponents out there saying this is horrible because. If anything, what we need to do is spend more money now. We need the deficit spend. We need to print more money. The Fed needs to be free to do that, of course. And if anybody's to blame for the problems we're having now in our economy, it's the Tea Party. The Tea Party elected these guys that said, no, we won't raise taxes. We can't raise taxes. Um, and, and so what is your response to this charge that the Tea Party is, is really to blame for, uh, for the problems we're having in the economy now? Well, I have to laugh because I, I continually marvel at the uh, the ability of these people to twist arguments and uh, and make and and make the most absurd statements sound, on the surface at least, plausible. What is the Tea Party? It's it's a it's a movement, is it not, of a certain segment of the American people who are uh, very very fed up with uh, huge government and deficit spending. So what they're saying is that it's a a fault of a large segment of the American voters who are fed up with big government and deficit spending. That's all the Tea Party is. And so they're trying to say that the voters themselves, the American people themselves, are at the the base of this problem. When, in fact, uh, I believe... uh, I just clarify that this is my belief, and I know plenty of people disagree with me. But I happen to agree with the basic premise of the Tea Party that we've had too much big government and too much deficit spending and all of the rest. And it's, if we don't reverse that trend, we're going to have a lot worse problem than a default on the national debt. A default on the national debt is like somebody getting bad credit. Well, that's pretty bad, isn't it? But what that means is that they can't borrow anymore. That's the bottom line. The worst thing that happens to somebody who loses his credit is that he can't borrow anymore. Mm-hmm. And so there are worse things than that, you know, a lot worse than not being able to borrow anymore. Uh, I've known people in my in my family that that was the best thing that could have happened to them that they lost their credit because if they hadn't lost their credit they would have gone ahead and just kept borrowing until finally they would have probably been indentured slaves somewhere mm-hmm. yeah. uh, so I think that the idea that the that the default on the national debt was somehow the worst calamity you could possibly imagine itself is a twist in logic there are lots worse things that can happen and I'm afraid they're going to happen because we continue to borrow mm-hmm yeah, in fact, uh, I would make the argument and do make the argument in my newsletter a lot of times that uh, uh, that what we're doing is <clears throat> is really trying to create uh, to solve the problem with the very thing that caused the problem, and that is uh, it creating more debt. Uh, because after all, we don't have an asset-based money; we have a liability-based money, and uh, debt is the raw material from which money is created in this fiat currency system. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, well, getting back to the Federal Reserve, uh, Ron Paul has claimed that the Federal Reserve is unconstitutional. What, would you agree with that? And if so, why? I definitely do agree with that. <laughs> I find no clause in the Constitution that authorizes the uh, government of the United States to issue money uh, based on bills of credit. That's definitely outlawed in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. So the states can't do it. The federal government can't do it by information. 
And so how if Congress can't do it, how can they allocate that power, which they do not have? How can they give that power to some private institution, a bunch of banks, and say, you can do it? It's absolutely, in my view, unconstitutional. And I think it's interesting that the federal um, Supreme Court has never had the courage to take that issue up. Yeah. Uh, one wonders why. Uh, well, it could see now. I can see now why <clears throat> the arguments, of course, Ed, is that. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, people will say, "Well, we had to bail. We had the Fed has to have the ability to create money. It has to be able to bail companies out that are in trouble. And if we hadn't bailed out the big banks back in 2008, things would have been much, much worse." What's your response to that? Um, that's my favorite word coming back again, bunk. Uh, things aren't getting much, much worse than they would have been had they not bailed out the banks. Mm -hmm. the, the people don't understand where bailout money comes from. They think, oh, isn't it nice, a, a charitable thing? We're going to bail out this company or this bank that needs it so much. They don't realize that that means we're going to go around and steal it from every citizen in the United States, a little bit from every every worker in the United States. We're going to take money against his will through the process of inflation by inflating the currency and give it to some favored corporation. That's what they're really talking about. And they say, isn't that wonderful that we, we have to do that? We have to steal from everybody. We have to decrease their purchasing power in order to keep these corporations profitable. And it, it, it's insane. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it really does seem to be, uh, you know, the smack against uh, logic. And I like to say that uh, in many cases, though, that uh, people with PhDs, economists with PhDs behind their names are the most disadvantaged in many ways because we have had uh, certainly an indoctrination, a Keynesian indoctrination that tells us uh, that we can just uh, deficit spend our way out of trouble. We can just print money and print our way out of trouble and that's what we're hearing from the status quo from the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal alike uh, people still believe that which leads me to the question then in terms of the uh, of the intellectuals that are proposing this you talked about uh, in your book you talk about the Fabian Socialist out of London and that they really had no difference ideologically at least uh, in terms of what their end game would be from the Bolsheviks they wanted to see a socialist society with an elite group of people controlling the society, controlling the economy. Um, can you talk just a little bit about the philosophy of some of these ruling elitists and who were some of them uh, that were maybe part of this movement to get the Federal Reserve created in the, to begin with? Well, it's uh, certainly uh, true that we need to understand the origins of all of this philosophy. You mentioned Keynes... Uh, uh, you've mentioned the Fabian Society, and mm -hmm. this is historic information that most people have had no access to. I certainly didn't until I felt obligated to really get that old uh, shovel out and start digging, you know. But the truth is that this goes back uh, well over a century, almost two centuries ago. The growth of the concept of collectivism, that's the real word that we should be using, Collectivism is, is the concept that the group is more important than the individual and that the individual should be sacrificed if necessary for the greater good of the greater number. Mm -hmm. and everything flows from that basic concept. And you find that at the bedrock foundation of all of the totalitarian systems of the modern age. Mm -hmm. That is the philosophy behind communism. 
That is the philosophy behind Nazism, fascism, socialism, all of the isms, including what people are now calling Americanism. Mm-hmm. Philosophy that the individual must be regimented to serve the state. The state represents the people, the greater good of the greater number. And people must be sacrificed. Individuals must be sacrificed. Minorities must be sacrificed, etc. You know, the greatest atrocities of, of, the, of the age can be, can be committed. And as long as the perpetrators say, well, it was necessary for the greater good of the greater number... Then they they think they're going to go down in history as heroes mm. in, instead of war criminals. Mm-hmm. See? And yeah. it's all based on this philosophy of the greater good for the greater number. So if that's what we're dealing with today. Whether it's in the United States, we have a little special form of it. Uh, in European countries, Asian countries, African countries, they've got their special forms of it. But it's all the same. It's the idea that the state is supreme because it represents the group and is for the greater good of the greater number. And as long as we live and accept, that we live under and accept that philosophy, there's no chance in the world that we're going to uh, going to throw it off or return to a condition where individuals are recognized uh, as, as at the apex of society and that they have a right to freedom. Right. A right to freedom. And, and so what we're being asked to, to become is a, a faceless, Individual, we were asked to be to give up our individuality and become to sacrifice that for the good of the whole. And it right. seems to me, Ed, just diametrically opposed to the founders of our Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. <clears throat> excuse me, that stated we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. To what extent do you think the Federal Reserve is right now getting in the way of that stated objective of our Declaration of Independence? Well, I think the Fed uh, and its policies is right smack dab in the way because what's happening is that w- when you accept a uh, controlled economy and you accept the philosophy that the Fed or some other central bank or any other mechanism, whatever whatever name you want to give to it, you accept the philosophy that individuals, groups of individuals, committees, agencies of government, cartels, whatever it is, have and should have the right to uh, to create the money supply and determine how much there is, what its value is, what the interest rates are, and so forth. You've given those people complete power over every human being in society because money is the lifeblood of everything that happens in society, whether it's in government, whether it's in military, whether it's in education, whether it's in media. I don't care where you go. Those who control the flow of money will control the organ that is supplied by that blood supply, by that money. And so what you have is that the end of this line is that all citizens become dependent upon that flow of money and they become subservient to it. And there's no such thing as a right to life, liberty, or the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. All you have is a right to be told what to do and, and accept it without complaint. Mm-hmm. Because you're totally now dependent upon the state or the cartel or some uh, political favored subdivision of this group. You're now dependent on them for your food, your clothing, your health care, your education. And under these conditions, any concept of rights or freedoms, it's just out the window. It's gone. It's meaningless. Well, it seems to me, Ed, that the Federal Reserve has been, uh, has, has certainly acted or has enabled 
uh, enslavement, indebtedness on the part of the American people. We've had some very interesting people on this show. John Perkins has been on this show, and he's talked about how <clears throat> how international institutions that I think you would agree are linked to some of these same uh, same elitist interests, uh, the World Bank, um, the IMF, for example, and how uh, they are geared to getting third world countries in debt to such an extent that they have to sell their raw materials to uh, to, to American companies, to uh, European companies. Uh, and so instead of the old way of just going into military and taking over countries, we've enslaved them that way. And then we've had Catherine Austin Fitz on this show uh, some time ago talking about how the same policies were being implemented in the U.S., we have now gotten Americans indebted to such an extent that they are enslaved also, uh, essentially, to the state. Uh, is, this a, uh, is this a modus operandi? Do you think it's something intentional? Or, or how does it come about? Because it seems clear to me that we are all heading towards, virtually everybody is heading towards becoming indentured servants again. Yes, I think debt enslavement is the, uh, the mechanism of choice in the modern age by which uh, nations and uh, elitists within those nations enslave the population. Uh, they, they do it in numerous ways, but the, the power of debt is perhaps the most powerful of all. The flow of money, the ability to see who gets money and who doesn't and uh, what the cost of the money is, by that I mean the interest rates on your loans and so forth. The, the people who control that really are the masters uh, as much, if not more so, than the old conquerors with all of their cannons and bayonets and soldiers. Um, but there are other means of control, you know, controlling the mind. They say that the power over the mind is, is the greatest power. You can control the flow of information. Uh, if you can put a twist into the news, uh, which forces people to think one way or the other, to like this person or dislike that person, to approve of this policy or disapprove of that policy, not based on merit, but just on the way it's explained to them, a mm -hmm. twist that's put onto it, that is power also. And that's the same power that you, you can exercise through the educational system, raise the little kids up and convince them that this kind of a political system or social system is good and the other kind is bad, just the way it's presented in the history books and so forth. That is power. But I still say that it's the money power that's the most powerful of all because if you've got the money, you can control the media and you can control the educational system. Well, and that's really the issue, Ed, uh, in, uh, among economists, for example, they're all trained as, um, basically, they're all trained as Keynesians. Yeah, and nobody, Keynesians nobody, nobody pointed a gun at them and made them think this way. They were trained. They were taught that. And, and it fits very well with the elitist system with the Federal Reserve. Uh, the Austrian school, of course, would, would have gold as money, and there'd be no need for the Federal Reserve. <clears throat> um, right, you are. Um, I'd like to turn to our military uh, issues for a minute here. We see that uh, the Libyan uh, dictator, Gaddafi, is, is gone now, and the U.S., um, well, I don't know. I mean, we, we claim, of course, that this is an uprising on the part of the people, that this is a populist revolution, and we've seen a number of governments destabilized, uh, have fallen in the Middle East in, in recent times. Um, 
How do you think this fits in? Uh, does this fit in with a grander scheme of things, do you think? Yes, I think what we're witnessing now is a gradual uh, sifting and elimination of the regimes in the world that are not totally under the influence of the, uh, shall we say, the, the NATO powers, the uh, the uh, American Empire is another way people might describe it, the new, you know, the new American Empire, um, the new world order. In other words, there are certain... Let me back off. The world is loaded with dictators almost everywhere mm-hmm. you look. Mm-hmm. It's pretty hard to find anybody who's a ruler of any country that you can say, I like him, you know? Mm-hmm. They're all really bad people. But I've noticed over the years that the the media and the governments tend to be very selective in which bad people they go after. Some bad people are not mentioned at all. In fact, they're the ones that we're forced to send money to, to support them, give them financial aid. But there are other bad people that are really portrayed as bad, and they're the ones that we send soldiers over to kill. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of a a disconnect here, and people need to ask, why are we more concerned over this bad dictator, but we're not concerned over that bad dictator? And I think if they will do that, they will find out that the ones that are being eliminated, like Gaddafi, for example, was not uh, cooperating with the elitists mm-hmm. as much. He was opposing the uh, the IMF. He was not accepting uh, World Bank dictates. Uh, he was uh, sort of exercising a little bit of independence. Now, again, let me phrase this. I do not like Muammar Gaddafi. I never did, never would, no. never could. But I'm just saying that I think the reason they're going after him is because they want regime change. They want a more uh, a, friend, a friendly regime in there that's more uh, cooperative with the new world order. And with corporate interest, perhaps. That, corporate uh, interest, that's the same thing, yeah. That really, um, some would argue, many would argue and have on my show here, that those are really the, the folks that are behind the, the powers behind the throne. So it seems to me, Ed, um, if you look at the global political situation these days, you know, you've got the U.S., Japan, and Europe on one hand, and that may also include some Eastern European countries, I suppose, and maybe a few South American countries that are, that are pretty friendly, uh, form a pretty friendly alliance, um, an alliance that cooperates pretty well with each other. On the other hand, you do have Russia and China, uh, they would seem to me to form a nucleus of anti-U.S. power, although it's not talked about too much. I think China is too powerful for us to start any kind of virulent rhetoric at this point in time. But they would be aligned then with the likes of Iran, North Korea, Venezuela, uh, for example, to name some, some countries. Those countries then, maybe Venezuela could be a target. And then I'm reminded that Mr. Gaddafi or Mr. Uh, uh, the Venezuelan uh, leader there, uh, Chavez. Chavez, is demanding a return of his of his gold, and he has a fairly substantial amount, that is the country does, amount of, of gold. Uh, and I'm just wondering, it's going to be interesting to see if if that gold is returned to him from the uh, from the Bank of England and wherever else he has it stored. But what are your thoughts on this this issue of um, of these alliances that maybe it seems to me there could be two basic sides that are being formed here, uh, you know, the, a, a Russian-Chinese uh, Sino-Soviet uh, block, for example, and a Western block. Any thoughts? Oh, yes, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Uh, I think that the world is divided 
uh, pretty much along a, a left-right paradigm, mm-hmm. which is um, not at all what it appears to be. By that I mean uh, it is they appear to be opposed to each other, which is true. I think they really are, but that does not mean that they're different from each mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if you examine the philosophies of the left and the right, whether it's these countries you're talking about, or even within any one country where you have political movements within a country, like in ours, for example. We generally think that the Republican Party is right-wing, the Democrat Party is Mm left-wing. Most countries have that division, and for the people in those countries, they view that division as a genuine conflict. But, But when you look at the political philosophies that dominate both of those groups, they're it's hard to determine the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned earlier that the the real thing we need to be concerned about is called collectivism, mm-hmm. the concept that the group is more important than the individual. So if you use that as a gauge, and a few others as well, and you look at those two groups, they're the same. There's mm-hmm. no difference, for example, between the Republican Party in this country and the Democrat Party on the issue of the group being more important than the individual. Mm-hmm. There's no difference between them uh, regarding, um, uh, you know, the nature of rights. Do they, do they, where do they come from? Mm-hmm. All of the issues between collectivism and individualism, you find that the left and the right are basically in agreement and they argue over things like gay marriage or something mm-hmm. like that, which mm-hmm. keeps the people really occupied. But when it comes to the loss of, uh, of their national sovereignty, the creation of an international money supply, the creation of an international army, the creation of the new world order, uh, those groups do not disagree at all. Yeah, yeah both Republicans and Democrats uh, save uh, save someone like Ron Paul, and, and once in a while you might maybe a Dennis Kucinich from the left, might have some differences on some of those issues, but for the most part, you're absolutely right. And it seems to me in the debates, the political debates we see, anybody that disagrees with those ideas are usually labeled as kooks. Uh, Ron Paul certainly is and has been uh, has been labeled as such. Now, at, we're almost out of time, Ed, and I do want to get to Ron Paul, a, a comment or two from you if I could. He recently uh, ended up in a virtual tie in this uh, straw poll in Iowa with uh, Michelle Bachman, and Michelle reportedly bust in a large number of people and made sure that they voted before they listened to any of the other candidates. Uh, in any event, Ron Paul essentially had a, was, was a, in a dead, dead heat, a tie with her, and yet he got no attention, virtually none, from the media. Are you surprised? Well, I'm absolutely not surprised. And uh, I guess I've been saying it all through this interview that uh, when you control the media, and I believe money is one of the best ways of controlling the media, then you can determine what the media will pass on to the American people. Mm-hmm. The moneyed interests in this country do not want the American people to ever hear the word Ron Paul in a favorable light. Mm-hmm. And they will do everything they can, which is considerable, through the media to make sure that that happens. Mm-hmm. And they're basically uh, and the uh, the defense against uh, putting him out there and giving him more publicity is that well well he can't win anyway and yet when I see the kind of support he gets uh, you know and, and the support he got last time when he ran from the people from the bottoms up uh, it, it's very very I know it's energizing for him uh, he he's been very very excited about it. Uh, and yet, uh, that's part of the propaganda too, isn't it? That uh, he can't win, so therefore there's no 
use wasting any time on him. Very convenient argument for those that won't, don't want to see the status quo challenge, eh? Oh, that, you've been using that argument for decades, and most people fall for it. The fact of the matter is, if there's only one candidate in the race that stands for anything, and you say he can't win, then that <laughs> means that you can't win. If you, if you like what he stands for, what they're telling you is that you can't win. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You as an individual have no reason to vote. I don't vote for him anyway. You better vote for somebody that has a chance to win. Vote for somebody you don't like because you want them to win. That that means, again, it's insanity. You know, most people think they're putting money into a football pool at election time. Uh, Mm -hmm. They just want to win the pool. They want to say, I voted for the winner. Uh, Of course, I didn't like him. He stands for everything that I I disapprove of. He's selling the country down the tubes, but I won. Yeah, <laughs> it's, sometimes I wonder. Yeah, it's it's um, it's a silly it's a silly game, and and one wonders about the wisdom of democracy. And and again, a democracy is a whole other topic that we don't have time to get into. But I know you pointed out it's never been this country was never meant to be a democracy. It was to be a republic. But we'll let that one alone because we're almost out of time. Ed, as we're talking here, gold is knocking on the door of two thousand dollars an ounce. Um, you have any forecast for gold? How high can it go? My answer to that question is, how low can the dollar go? Right. That's the yeah. answer. Yeah. If, the dollar, if the dollar goes down to zero, then gold will go up to infinity. Mm-hmm. And there are some people, Ed, Nothing right in now, between. I mean, yeah. it, it, it'll, go as, it'll go as high as the dollar goes low. Mm-hmm. There are some people out there now that are looking at Chavez's requ- uh, request for this large amount of gold coming back and the gold antitrust action people have been saying for years that they doubt that central banks have all the gold they claim they have they've leased it out they've sold it they've done various uh, gimmick uh, gimmicks with their bookkeeping of, of the gold uh, that they're supposed to be holding uh, and there are some concerns out there now that the gold market uh, that we could see a real uh, spike in the gold price and we've seen a real spike but I mean people are talking about in terms of not enough gold to give Mr. Chavez his delivery, uh, and um, and that we could see a squeeze, a real short squeeze on gold. Um, and that leads some people to wonder and to worry a little bit about the possibilities of confiscation of gold, uh, confiscation of gold that's held by Americans, and we were given the freedom, as if we didn't have it to start with, uh, during Gerald Ford's presidency to own gold again after Roosevelt had taken that privilege away from us, that, that right, I should say. Um, so what are, what are your thoughts? Do you think that uh, the confiscation is a real possibility in the future? Well, I think that it's a, a definite possibility. I, I wish I didn't have to say that. But as long as the people are in power that are there now, I mean, let's face it, they're complete totalitarian in their thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they uh, do not want to allow freedom to the individual. They're collectivists, and they will say, well, we must do this for the greater good of the greater number. Mm-hmm. If, we, if we don't uh, confiscate everybody's gold, why, what could happen to the country? Mm-hmm. We may suffer. So, therefore, you, if you're not patriotic, you will hang on to your gold. But if you're patriotic, you'll give it up. It's yeah. that argument again, the greater yeah. good for the greater number. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that was that was essentially the argument that Roosevelt proposed. I mean, it was a little more complicated than that, but, but that's, there was that element to it, wasn't there? And if you didn't give up your gold, at least on the books, there was the uh, the penalty of ten thousand dollars, which was a heck of a lot of money in those days, and ten years imprisonment. So, 
they weren't fooling around then uh, under Roosevelt, and so uh, this, the precedent has been set. And uh, I guess the question in in our mind, and the question we ask a lot of our uh, guests on this show, is what should we do as Americans? And the general answer that I get most often is diversify if you can. Keep your gold in various places and in various forms and so on and so forth. We do, of course, talk a lot about mining shares in this, uh, in this, uh, in this forum. And mining shares was one thing that, that did well in the 30s and was not taken away. People did profit from mining shares. But, Ed, you know, the whole thing is this, these are material issues, and when we lose our liberty and our freedom, I know Ron Paul has said if we have our liberty, we can bounce back economically. But if you take our liberty away from us, if you take our freedom, our freedom to uh, you know to to do things in commerce, to live our lives as as we are uh, as we have been ordained or made to do, as we've been created to do. I mean, the individuality—that's the thing that you're pointing out. We lose our individuality in this faceless society where we're all asked to to uh, to give up who we are for the sake of the better good. In China, I guess under Mao Zedong. To make everybody equal, they pushed everybody out into the into the countryside so they could eat grass, uh, so they could be like animals, and you wouldn't have some people better than others. It's just except it's, the members of the Communist Party. Except the members, yes, of course, of course, and and you can see that even now in American society. Ed, I can say this because I'm an ex banker. I know I know the views that were that were not that we were not free to hold uh, within the the banking corporation that I worked for. And you can see it now, and I talk to my colleagues in the banking industry. And it was a very interesting story, and I really have to get on here because we've got to go to the next break and we've got to get our next guest on. But I was uh, having a luncheon in New York not, oh, maybe a year ago or so, and there was a fellow from uh, Morgan Stanley who was sitting next to me at this luncheon. And we just started small talk, and I mentioned that Ron Paul was on my radio show, and he's I've considered him a friend for many years. And he said, that's really interesting. He said, I voted for Ron Paul, and it nearly cost me my marriage. So this is a guy from Morgan Stanley, a professional banker. Uh, and so there are people out there like that that are really sort of seeing the light, I think. But, uh, you know, the pressure is always on us to try to comply with the uh, for the better good, as you say. And, of course, it's not for the better good, but and it's, and it's com- completely contrary to the spirit of the revolution, the Declaration of Independence. And it's... Uh, Yet, you know, there are a lot of people that are getting very upset. The Tea Party is part of it. And how can people, they can follow your work, how can people follow your work so they can get involved and do everything possible to try to uh, to save uh, these very basic human rights? Well, I think that's a good way to close. Uh, Jay, thanks for asking that question. A moment ago you said, you know, how can, how can we protect ourselves? And um, I wanted to jump in and say, by recapturing the system, we're not, we're not going to protect ourselves by even diversifying or putting it into, into mining shares, although all of that will help. But if the system goes down, we lose it all. So if we want to recapture the system, we've got to try something uh, at a much higher level. And that's what Freedom Force International is all about. So I urge anybody that wants to participate in really recapturing the system, really making a difference, to look us up on the Internet. It's freedomforceinternational.org. It's a lot of reading there, but and I can't answer your question with just a few words, but except by saying we must take back the system. And the blueprint for doing that is on our website. Excellent, Ed. Thank you so much again for your time, for sharing your insights with our listeners. And uh, 
I, uh, I hope we can talk to you again sometime soon. Uh, keep up the good fight. You're certainly a hero of mine, and I really, really enjoyed having you again. Well, folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with Ron Paul's chief of staff, Jeff Deist, and then Ted Ohashi will be with me. Uh, Ted is from Investment Pitch. We'll be talking about uh, some of the markets and their behavior this day. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Merrix Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrix and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrix's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Romeo's Gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of British Columbia's Golden Triangle, a copper-gold-rich region with improving infrastructure. Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi-billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world-class mineral resources in a major upcoming mining district. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at W www.rypatchgold.com Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity a successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems by applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. 
Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Well, at the start of today's show, uh, with the gold price nearing $1,900, I said that I hoped the price of gold would correct and move sideways for a while. And uh, certainly it has, it has corrected a bit today. I, I see the gold price is down about 66 bucks from where it was to start this day in Asia. So we have seen a substantial decline to about $1,832 as uh, trading uh, in the cash market in New York right now. This is a very healthy action in my view, uh, and I really do believe that the best we can see and hope for those of us who are bullish on gold now would be uh, sort of a back-and-fill sideways motion um, and maybe even a further decline to a certain extent. Certainly, as I look at my long-term moving averages, we could fall quite a bit in the gold price and still remain in very, very bullish territory. This has been a bull market for the ages, no doubt about it. We've had 10 successive years when the price of gold has been higher than the year before. Um, so, meanwhile, and this is what I look at most carefully, is the real price of gold. What will announce the gold buy? And we reached a new high, as I said earlier in the show, getting up to about 48% on the Rogers Raw Materials Fund. In other words, an ounce of gold will buy over 48% of the Rogers Raw Material Fund, and it was as low as 17% before Lehman Brothers. So this sort of uh, credit contraction has been extremely bullish for gold mining uh, companies for the real price of gold, the price of the profit margins for the major gold mining companies are coming in higher and higher. They're doing very, very well, and that bodes very well for companies that are sponsors for this show, the junior mining companies, companies like Merrick's Gold, Legend Gold, Rye Patch Gold Corp., Romeo's Gold. Those are our current sponsors. We've talked to lots of companies, gold mining companies. I think this is the most exciting time I have seen in a long time for the junior gold mining sector and silver mining companies as well. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier in the day uh, on the show that Jeff Deist uh, might be with us for the close. He is not with us. 
Uh, Jeff is out of the office today, and I think he's playing golf. Uh, good for him. He deserves a break, no doubt about it. But I do have Ted Ohashi with me from Investment Pitch, and uh, well, welcome, Ted. Jay, nice to be with you again. Well, good to have you. Um, what are your thoughts about this uh, crazy movement in the price of gold over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I, I uh, uh, generally agree with what you had to say there. I mean, I, I think as a long-term uh, bull on gold, uh, the one thing that, that I don't want to see is uh, kind of a speculative runaway. Um, and so the fact that uh, after a strong move, uh, the price is settled back and, and gives people a chance, uh, gives the price a chance to consolidate. Uh, I think all of that is very healthy. So um, I, I agree with your sentiments uh, precisely. I think longer term, uh, yeah, I, nothing much has changed in the backdrop that, uh, uh, that has brought gold to this level. And uh, so um, I think uh, those uh, credit and debt problems are, are going to continue and uh, that bodes well for the price of gold. Yeah, and that's uh, that's true, Ted. And you know, I'd like to just be clear about my views on gold. I'm I'm viewed as a gold bug, not because I want to get rich owning gold. I would rather uh, find other things to do with my life. I could find other kinds of companies to invest in that might be more directly helpful to human beings. But the markets are saying we don't trust paper money anymore. Things have run amok, and that's not good news. But what we do try to do is protect ourselves as best we can by owning gold in one form or another, in the bullion, in the shares, etc., uh, one way or another to protect our, our wealth because wealth is being really evaporated through uh, the debasement of currency. So we look at gold mining companies, and, Ted, you have a company that you like a lot. It's called Deerhorn Metals. Uh, I believe it's uh, traded on the, in Canada under the symbol DHM. And in the United States, it's traded under the symbol G-O-D-Y-F, 95.6 million shares outstanding, about a 12 million market cap. Talk to us about Deerhorn. Why do you like it? Well, um, I like it for several reasons. I, there are certain characteristics that I look for in companies. And uh, in this case, let me start by talking a little bit about the president and CEO. Uh, his name is uh, Ty Doherty. Um, his last venture was a company called Quinto Mining, um, that was sold in 2008 for $175 million. Um, so here we have a, a small company that is run by a guy who's been to the big show uh, and uh, come away a winner. Uh, the second thing is uh, that they're working on the Deerhorn property, which is out here in British Columbia. Uh, it's actually not too far from Imperial Metals' uh, Huckleberry Mine. Uh, this is a property that uh, has... Um, uh, some history to it, and I, I like that. I like that a lot better than uh, going out in the moose pasture and starting from scratch. So um, it was initially uh, discovered for tungsten. Uh, it was later held and explored by uh, Tech Corp in the early 90s um, as a gold and silver prospect. Um, and so um, all of that, uh, to me, is very good. Uh, the other thing is um, I, I like this metal package, um, now, when, when Tech had it and uh, uh, they, they had the gold and, hit and silver values, um, they also had a, a metal called tellurium, which was uh, mixed in there. And at that time, tellurium wasn't worth anything. Um, and so it was, it was actually a cost of mining. Uh, today, tellurium is a much sought-after metal. Um, it's used in uh, making solar panels. Um, in fact, it's the preferred uh, metal uh, for use in solar panels, and uh, it's a metal that is in 
um, is in very high demand uh, relative to uh, a low supply. And so what Deerhorn has is they have some of the highest grades of tellurium on record um, in their mind. So um, if, for example, you looked at it conceptually and you said, okay, so uh, Deerhorn goes in there and they start taking out the gold and silver, uh, the tellurium will basically cover their costs and they get the gold and silver for nothing. Um, so that seems to be a, a potentially successful um, formula. Uh, the other thing is uh, tungsten. Uh, this was originally a tungsten property. And when I say originally, I mean uh, way back during the Second World War. Um, and tungsten, again, uh, is one of those metals. It's a very common story these days about uh, you know, China's the, the world's largest supplier. Um, other uh, producers outside of Asia uh, have uh, closed down over the years. Um, and so uh, this, again, is, is a, a metal that um, uh, could do very well. Uh, moving ahead. It, it's All right, Ted, unfortunately, we're, my engineer is telling me we've got 30 seconds left, so we're going to have okay. to wrap it up. Do they have to issue some more shares to raise some capital? For no, they've done stock, that. It sounds very interesting. Yeah, they've done that. They've got about $3.5 million, $4 million in okay. the bank. Okay, so they can move forward, do some exploration. Folks, you're going to want to keep your eye on this company. It is a speculation, no doubt about it. We've got to wrap up. i got to tell you, my next week, uh, my guest is going to be Dick Beauvais, very well-known banking analyst. He's going to have some things to say about the bank stocks, and the banks are under tremendous pressure these days. I want to thank our uh, the people at Voice America for making this show logistically possible. Tacey Trump, my producer, Justin Jackson, uh, Jackman, my engineer. Thanks to each of you for listening, making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. That's all for now. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that 